Um, when, when I was probably uh, 10 or 11 years old, I, I received my final spanking um, from my parents. Anybody know about spanking? Some of you, like, like we don't, like, it's like nowadays it's just like it's timeouts or I'm taking your phone away from you. Um, and that's, by, by the way, the phone thing is the most powerful of the, of the things. Can I get an amen? But back in the day, like, I'm 46, I'm going to be 47 in like six weeks, which is really super weird for me because I'm now older than most of you, which it used to be that I was younger than most of the people in the church, and now it's not the fact anymore because I'm old. Uh, anyways, but when I was 10 or 11, I got my final spanking, and, and it wasn't that bad because I was the, I was the fourth of, of, of the kids, and my older brothers were kind of really bad, and so by the time they got to me, they were just like half-hearted, like... Sorry about this, man. Uh, your mom's making me do it, you know, or whatever, whatever it was like, like that. And, 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 but what made it bad wasn't the spanking itself. It was why I was getting um, a spanking. Um, my my um, sister and I were the closest in age. She was three years older than me. And so for a lot of that time, when we were early on, we were about the same size. And we would just go at it like boys rather than like a sister and brother. Um, she was kind of... Um, she was very spirited. Let me say that about my sister. She still is very spirited. Awesome. You know, she's my favorite sister ever. Um, the only one. <clears throat> but she had like long hair and she would grow it in a ponytail. She put it in a ponytail and then she'd put like these heavy things. I don't even remember what they're called. And like if you came at her, she would swing it around like it's like a ninja thing. Like she would like take you down. Like it was like nunchucks, but hair chucks. I just made that up. Um, but so when we would go at it, she would like she would come at me and punch me sometimes. Right. And what would happen is, even though I was smaller than her on, on some of those occasions, it would be to the extent that it was like the Incredible Hulk principle. Like, if you make me mad enough, I would like turn into like green and I would stretch my clothes out and I would chase her. And she, would, and she ran in this particular time, she ran and hit herself in the bathroom and like safe at home base. And I made this tragic mistake that day. And that is, my parents were home and usually when we would tussle, um, they wouldn't be around. But this particular time, they were. And I, and I want the small children to close their ears because it's terrible what I'm going to say now. I, I said, you're stupid. Like, like, don't say that ever, kids. It's terrible. Um, apparently. Apparently it is. Um, because when my mother heard this, now remember, this is her only daughter, right? Her pride and joy, the jewel of the Nile. Like, the other, the, like by the time they got to me, they're like, eh, that's that kid over there we had uh, by accident. Not, not really. No, really. But, but it's like the daughter. And so something went off in my mom, and she was like, Don, get your belt. And, and by the way, Don's my dad, like a, not like a total stranger. And I was like, is this really going to go down? And it really went down, like for, 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 for the S word, not the bad S word, the medium S word. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting my, 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 my spanking down. And, and, and I'm thinking in my head, because I have two older brothers, I'm thinking in my head, and I know what they're doing. My brothers are growing weed on the roof of our house right now. And I'm getting spankings for saying stupid to my sister. This is unjust, right? Like there's, I'm going to do a march because of the injustice of this thing. Right? My parents didn't know, of course, that that was happening, but I knew. And I was getting spanking for that. But, but, I, but I learned a valuable lesson. Do you know what the lesson I learned is? Don't call your sister stupid in front of your mother. That's the lesson I learned. But it got my attention. And I never did that again. They successfully modified my behavior with some pain because I never did that for a fact. I never did that again. Now, there were other lessons that I learned along the way in middle school and in high school and in college. Um, and, you know, when you go to school, um, your teachers will say, hey, I don't care what your last teacher did in our class. 
this is how we roll, and you would modify your behavior. Maybe you started a job, and they'd be like, okay, at our job, they might have let you do this at your last job, but at our job, this is how we do it, and you would modify your behavior. And you do this, you've done this all throughout your life, and you, become, you and I have become very good at at least temporarily modifying our behavior. But then, but then, then, sometimes in life, and, and we don't even really know how or why or where this came from, but sometimes in life, all of us have done this, we will say or we will do the worst kinds of things. We will say and do the worst kinds of things, sometimes even life-altering things, and, and people will say about us, and we will say inside of ourselves, where did that come from? Like, that, that's not the Danny I know. Where, where did that come from? That's not who I am. Why, why did I just do that? Now, do, do you remember the movie A Christmas Story? Anybody remember this one? It's coming up. Like, like we're, we're doing a series in, in uh, November uh, called At the Movies. We do it every year. It's our biggest series of the year. It's where the most people tend to come, and the most people tend to come to faith during this series in November, where we take modern uh, movies and we use them as a backdrop to teach spiritual truths. But, but in this case, I think we're going to do A Christmas Story at the back end of this thing just because it feels right. Come on, somebody. It feels right. But, but do you remember when Ralphie was so tired of being picked on? Uh, Farkas was coming at him. You remember Farkas? Like the kid, he was like yellow. His eyes were yellow or whatever. Um, uh, that was the other kid. This was Farkas. Farkas was the bigger one. And he's, he's messing with him. And Ralphie starts to cry. And he's like, go ahead and cry. Go ahead and cry. And then the Incredible Hulk principal takes over Ralphie. And he goes at him. And he beats the dog out of Farkas. And, and, and all of a sudden, in the middle of it, all the neighborhood kids are going, yeah, Ralphie, yeah, Ralphie. But then Ralphie's mother's coming. And they're like, no, Ralphie. Because out of Ralphie's mouth comes this tirade of obscenities that literally colors the atmosphere. Atmosphere. Do you remember it? He's like, rack him, frack him, crack him. And he's, and he's not really cussing, but they're making it seem like he's cussing. And, and then his mother's like, who is this demon child? Right? Remember this? Remember this? Go Google it. Um, like, where did, this, where did this come from? And so the question that we want to focus on today is, where does all that stuff come from? That stuff that we're like, I can't believe I did that. We look back and go, what was I thinking? Where does that come from? The, the series is called Rumble Strip. And what we're talking about, if you haven't been here, are those little raised up bumps or those little grooves they, 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 they carve into the road alongside the highway uh, before blind turns to make you slow down, to make you aware. And they only have one purpose in life, and that is to say, wake up, you're drifting out of your lane, or slow down, this is the danger zone, or, or whatever the case is. That's their thing. Wake up. And they put these things always, not at the edge of the highway, they put them at the edge of the shoulder where there's still time for you to adjust, for you to uh, course correct so that, you don't enter, that you're going into the danger zone. And before you do that, we want you to, we want you to self-correct. And because what we've said is that early detection is the best kind of protection, right? And, and what we've been saying is that we don't just need these along the road, we need these things in our lives. And what we said, a rumble strip is, it's a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience so that when we get into a danger zone or we get into a, an area that is not good, something lights up our consciences that says, slow down, you're drifting before we hurt ourselves, before we hurt somebody else. That's the point of a rumble strip. So today I want to finish up this series by digging into what I would consider is the most important of, the, of these. We've talked about 
morality last week. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about um, some other things. We're going to talk about financial stuff uh, in the next month, but they'll be related to this as well. Um, but today, I want to talk about guarding, putting guardrails, putting rumble strips around our hearts. And here's why. Most of the things, those of you who are adults, most of the things that you regret, most of the things that you have shame around, most of the things that you would say you wish never happened in your life could have been, should have been avoided had you had personal standards of behavior as it relates to money or morality or relationships or whatever it is. We would say that if we just had those there, probably we wouldn't have done what we did, the things that we wish we had never done. So I'm going to show some words on the screen in just a moment. And they were written by a guy named Solomon. He was a king of, of ancient Israel, and he was third in the line of the kings. There was, there was Saul, there was David, and there was Solomon. Solomon was David's son. And Solomon was considered by many people, by most people, to be the wisest person, not only of his generation, but whoever, whoever lived. And, and he wrote this uh, plethora of, of wisdom literature that's in our Bibles, from Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomons, and, and particularly a book called the Book of Proverbs, and where he writes to his sons and where he's writing wisdom to them. And, and he wrote about marriage and about relationships and about money and about the way the world works, and he wrote about wisdom. Just And, and he would, he would um, animize, he would make, an, uh, like he would, he would, I can't think of the word, he would, he would make wisdom like a person, and he would talk about wisdom. But then there would be times where, where Solomon would go through seasons of his life where he was just kind of down, he was disillusioned, he was disappointed. And he would write things that were kind of like, like the, that life is futile, like what's the point of it all? Um, but, but then he comes to this verse that we're going to read today. And the, the way the verse is written is saying, listen, I've written a lot of amazingly wise things. I, I've made an incredible amount of wise, I've told you a lot of stuff, but, but this thing, this particular thing is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. This is it. And here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He says, above all else, in other words, more importantly than any other thing I've ever told you, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do, think about that, flows from it, from your, from your heart. Now, he's not talking about your physical heart. Talking about your inner person, your inner being, above all else, he says. Now, what, what if that's true? What if that verse is true? What if it's not just mere hyperbole? And by the way, just for the record, I believe that it is true. I believe that the scriptures bear this out, that it is true. Um, what if everything we do in life flows out of this inner sort of well, every thought, every action, every, every word, every interaction, every intention, every motivation, what if all of that flows out of our inner being as Solomon suggests? What is the implication of that? What, what, are, the, what, are, what are the boundaries of that? What, 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 what are, what, how important is this? Well, the implications are that as if your heart is unhealthy, your spiritual being is unhealthy, it threatens everything else, family, future, uh, careers, friends, literally everything. So Solomon says, listen, above all other things, you need to put guardrails. You need to put uh, rubber, you know, rumble strips around your heart. For a couple of reasons, I think he's saying this. Number one, he's saying it's, it's your most valuable thing. It's valuable. Like, we don't guard things that aren't valuable. Like, you guys are going to roll out your trash tomorrow, some of you. You're going to take out your dumpster, your can, or whatever it is. 
and, and, and you're not going to put a padlock on it, right? Come on, you're not going to put a padlock, right? Because it's garbage. You don't really care if they take it. Matter of fact, you want them to take it. You want them to steal it from you permanently. Can I get a good amen, somebody, right? right? But, 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 but when it comes to your house, you lock your door. Some of you have like three or four padlocks, chains, like metal bars that come up. You get a broom handle and shove that in there as well. And come on, you guys know what I'm saying? You got a shotgun by your bed. You got smoke alarms, alarm alarms, carbon monoxide alarms. You got a four pound chihuahua to bark at everybody that's coming by just in case, right? Why, why do you do all this? Because inside your house are your, are, are your most valuable things. Most importantly, your children, your family, that's where the good stuff is. And what Solomon is saying is this is how your heart is, that it's the essence of who you are, that it's, that it's your authentic self. It's not the face that you show everybody. It's what's going on on the inside that's the real thing. It's the core of your being. It's, it's where all of your dreams and where your hopes and where your, where your desires and your passions live. It's what enables you to connect to God and what enables you to connect relationally with other people. And so you've got to guard it, he says, because all of life flows out of it. And the other thing that you need to know about your heart is that, by implication, what Solomon says is that it's under attack. Why guard something that's not got the potential to be attacked, right? It's under attack. And, and, and Solomon's saying we're living in a combat zone and there are casualties. And some of us are oblivious to this idea that we have a spiritual enemy who is like hell-bent on our destruction. John 10.10 10 says that the thief, he's talking about, the, about our enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his motivations for your life. And he not only opposes God, he opposes anyone or anything aligned with God. And so he will use all sorts of weapons to attack our heart. Why not our health? Why not our finances? Why our heart? Because that's the way that we connect to God, and he hates God. And he wants to disrupt the flow between me and God. And he wants to create blockages in our hearts. And that's what he attacks. And so for me, for me personally, these attacks generally come in, for, in the form of some circumstance which just knocks me off my feet, which leads to disappointment or discouragement or even worse, um, disillusionment. And in those moments, and I'm sure you're, you've, you've had them as well, I'm like, what's the point of this? Why am I still trying to do this? And so I either quit or I feel like surrendering or I feel like just living my life on autopilot and just going through the motions because this is what I do, but I don't really have any energy or heart for it. This is how the enemy comes at me. But some of you, he attacks you and he attempts, he attempts you to cheat or to quit or to walk out on or to create a disaster of relationships or careers or jobs or whatever or on your dreams. And so you got to be on guard, Solomon says. So my question for you today is, how are things with your heart? How are things with your heart? Not, not your grades, not, not your job, not your, not your hobbies, not how much money are you making right now. Because if, if you factor just those things in, you, chances are you'd say, you know what? Things are going really good right now, man. I'm doing all right. But probably if you're like me, you rarely, if ever, stop to consider the condition of, of your heart which Solomon says is the thing we should be doing above all other things, but it's the thing that we almost never do. Think about that. Because unfortunately, they've not yet invented a machine like some sort of emotional, spiritual, psychological EKG machine to tell me how I'm doing, right? They haven't done this. Gr growing up, my, my parents, if they were like yours and, it's, and, and, and like me, we, we teach our kids to monitor not our hearts, but our behavior, right? 
Modify your behavior. Danny, son, watch what you're saying, man. Watch what you're doing, son. That, that's not a good way to do it. You know, w- w- mind your manners. Behave, son, right? But rarely do our parents ever say, Danny, how are things with your heart? How, how, are, how are things in your soul? How, has somebody mistreated you, son? Have you been bullied at school, son? Have, have these bad things been happening to you? Like, rarely did, did anybody ever say to me, how is your heart? But Jesus was never concerned with behaviors in the same way that he was with the heart, with relationship. That's what he came to do was to build relationships because, because he knew, like we all know, that rules without relationships will always lead to rebellion. That's just what happens. You know this. If, if, I, if as a parent I just say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, but I don't love my kids, I don't celebrate my kids, I don't, I don't uh, uh, love on them, then that's going to lead only to rebellion. That's what happens. That's what human beings... So it wasn't Solomon alone who taught about, about the condition of our hearts. Jesus did this as well. And, and here's what he says in Mark chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. He's having this, this disagreement with the Pharisees, who were the religious elite of the day. They were, they were deeply steeped in the Jewish tradition to the extent that they were sort of lording it over everybody else. And they were taking rules that, were, that, that the Old Testament had taught were for them as leaders, as pastors, as priests, and they were trying to say that everybody had to do the same things that they had to do. And Jesus is going, that's not true. And so the fight is about whether, why didn't the disciples wash their hands before they, were, they, they ate? Which, by the way, is a good thing. Can I get a good amen or that? Like, it's also, just FYI, dudes, because I don't know what happens in the ladies' rooms, it's also a good thing to wash your hands after you leave, or, or before you leave the bathroom. Just throwing that out there. This is a matter of conscience that you're going to touch that handle, and so do I. Now, I have to do it now. You know what I'm saying? Just putting that out there, FYI. Just a word for the wise. Um, so Jesus is like, dude, they're not sinning because they, they put some food in their mouth before they wash their hands. And, and he goes on and he says, it, it's, it's, not, it's not what you put in your mouth that is offensive. He says, it's the thought life. Look at this. It's the thought life that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's where heart come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you, and they are what make you unacceptable to God, which just, by the way, means offensive to God. And notice that every one of these things, the reason they're offensive to God is not because God has a low tolerance for your mistakes and mine, because he doesn't. He has a huge tolerance for them. It's because these things hurt other people. And God loves those other people. And when my stuff and my sin hurts other people, God finds it offensive. Because listen, as a dad, if you mistreat my kids, you and I are not going to be okay. Come on, somebody. And that's the heart of God. You, you, if, if, and all of these things involve hurting other people. And God says, no, I'm not cool with it at all. In, in other words, according to Jesus, our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts. And what's in our hearts will eventually show up in our words, in our actions, in our character, in our behavior. So, so garbage in, what? Garbage out. Just makes sense. Je- Jesus would say that if you're consistently driving on the rumble strips in some area of your life where it's going, and you're just going, nah, it's all, it's all good. I'm, I'm good over here. He would say, listen, I can't just give you some practical application points. You got a heart problem because it's coming from within you. Your sin, your, your brokenness, the way you're hurting other people, that's coming from inside of you. Now, the interesting thing is I've not told you anything that you didn't already know, right? You already knew this. 
maybe you haven't thought about these terms, but you've seen this in, in your life. You've seen it in the lives of other people. Do you know somebody who ever blew up a career because they couldn't keep their mouth shut? Of course you do. You ever seen anybody blow up their marriage because of the, of the way that they talk to their wife or their, or their husband, where they're like, dude, I can't take this anymore. You ever seen that? Of course you have. You ever, you ever see somebody um, uh, alienate their kids because how they treated their kids and the, the point where the kids get old enough, they're like, dude, I'm out. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. You ever seen this, right? You ever, you ever seen anybody blow up their marriage because of what they were doing outside the home? Yeah, of course you have. We, we've all seen this. And for some of us, we go, yeah, I kind of did that myself, right? We, we get that. Um, and we look back on that and we think, what were they thinking when they did that? Did they not see that coming? Like, because for some of us, we see kids, we see students, we see them going, like, if you keep going down that road, bro, I'm going to tell you something. That's a bad road. But they're like, that's ah, good. It's all good. I'm going with the flow. Good. You know what I'm saying? It's all good. I feel like saying it that way. Right? Right? And, and Jesus would say, we would say, well, where'd that come from? And Jesus would say, it came from within came from inside of you, that you can't just do behavior modification. That never works in the long run, right? You can spank your kids a thousand times, but if their hearts are jacked up, listen to me, it's not going to work, right? It's always been about the heart, but we would rather deal with the fruit of the problems, and this guy's really angry, or this guy's blah, 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 or this guy's really, right? And never deal with the root issues. And so we just live our lives in such a way because we, don't, we aren't taught to monitor our heart, to think about our heart that we ignore the reality of what's going on in our hearts. We don't monitor the condition of our hearts. We just adjust our behaviors. But the truth is, behavior, what I do, what I say, is so deeply connected to the condition of my heart. And if somebody can just help me fix what's going on in my heart, then the rest of it will come into line. Does that make sense so far? Like You don't have to be a Jesus follower to believe this. This is true. And, and if, I, if I don't focus on the heart, the unresolved issues that are bumping around inside of all of our hearts right now, every one of you have stuff. Believe me, I do, right? It will eventually work its way to a surface. It'll show up in my words. It'll show up in my conversations. It'll show up in how I treat people. It'll show up uh, in my character. And what happens is, is you ignore it for long enough. You ignore it. You've all seen this, that it just explodes like a, like a dormant volcano. And this is why suddenly parents file for a divorce. And people say, man, I never saw that coming. Suddenly, a student's grades start to drop and their attitudes change dramatically. Suddenly, a spouse decides to cheat. Suddenly, a daughter decides to get reckless with her sexuality. Suddenly, this harmless, seemingly harmless pastime becomes a destructive habit. Suddenly, except that it wasn't suddenly at all. It was already going on inside, but nobody was paying attention to what was happening on the inside. And someone says, listen to me. You have to guard your heart. You have to pay attention to what's going on in your heart because it is the wellspring of life. All of life flows out of it. So let me ask you again. How's your heart? You know, most of us would say to that, you know what, Danny, I, I don't, I don't, I've never really even thought about it like that. I don't, I don't know how it's going. They don't have a machine that will hook me up. And so in light of that, I want to just give you some sort of practical symptoms of heart problems, some, some, some behaviors, some ideas, some thoughts, some emotions that, that if they are happening in your life, and some of you, would, you, you're in denial, so you're like, none of that's happening to me, but probably if you ask your wife or your husband or your mother or your kids, they would say, absolutely this is going on in your life. And maybe, maybe you should do that, because a lot of us are in denial, like, ah, I'm good, I'm, everything, it's good, right? I'm going to do that one more time. It felt right the first time. Um, but ask somebody else. And these are just symptoms that there may be a heart problem, 
And, these, and, and I'm going to give you the, 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 not only the, the symptom, but I'm also going to give you the solution to these things. And, and so here they are, four things that I think are the root problem for a lot of other things that we do. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. And each of these four have a debt-to-debtor relationship, meaning that somebody owes somebody something until somebody pays up we're going to continue with these things. That's how they work. And each of these four things leak. Like they leak into other areas of life. They don't just stay self-contained in this one area of life. They leak into other areas of life. And, and the solutions to these are from Jesus. Not, they're not my opinions. These are, these are from the Bible. And the solutions that Jesus would offer, because Jesus was always not, hey, come to me and, and change your behavior. That's not what he said. Hey, come to me, clean up, then come to me. No, no he never did that. Never did that. He would accept people just as they are, however they are, whatever, however they were rolling. He would, in fact, he'd go search them out, however they were. And he wouldn't say, hey, modify your behavior. He would say, follow me. Follow me. And along the way, I'm going to say, hey, why don't you try this? Or, hey, why don't you stop that? Why don't you do this instead? And here's the thing I want to tell you. Each of these four solutions are going to be the exact opposite of what you would feel like or what you would want to do in these situations. You with me so far? So here we go. Number one, guilt says, I owe you. Think about this. Whenever you feel guilty, whenever you've done the wrong thing, you use language like, I owe her an apology. I owe him, I owe him an apology. Why, why do we say that? Why? Because there's a debt-to-debtor relationship. We've taken something from somebody. We've harmed somebody in some way. We've injured them. And so now guilt starts to create this tension inside of us that makes us uncomfortable. And what happens is if we don't deal with it in the way Jesus says, we set up walls. I'm good. Everything's good, man. It's all good. We become inauthentic. We're we're wearing masks. It leads to secret keeping to where our mom will say to us, hey, babe, is everything okay with you? Yeah, I'm good. Are you sure? Because I feel like something's wrong. Like, no, no, it's good. Hey, honey, right, back, back and forth with the wife. Are, you, are we good? Is everything, like, I feel like something's going on between us. No, man, we're, we're good. And, and why don't we say something to them? Because we're worried that if I say something to them, it's going to create some damage for them. And so rather than that, I'll just carry it around. But, but what happens is it begins to seep into our words and in our actions. And these secrets begin to poison our relationships. From the very person that we could just get it out in the open with and get it over with, we begin to poison the well, and they start to feel something, but we're like, how long are we going to do this? How long are we going to keep hiding from each other until we just blow up, right? So, so what do we do with our guilt? We confess to somebody. That's how we do it. It's the confession that heals. It's the confession that deals with guilt. And ultimately, you have to go confess to the person with whom you've harmed, that you've damaged. If you've ever been part of a 12-step program, we do a thing called Celebrate Recovery here, and it's for not people who are addicted to things. It's just for people who are damaged, have hurts, habits, hang-ups from their past. And, and, and so there's this, this language that we call, it's called making amends, where we go to the person that we've harmed along the way and we say, I'm really sorry for what I said. I'm really sorry for what I did. I owe you an apology. Now, could the confession cause some damage in the relationship? Yes. Secret keeping always creates damage for people. But listen to me, when you run into a guardrail with your car, does it create damage? Yeah, it does. It dents it, it scratches it, it it, it can really tear it up. But the guardrail keeps you from what? From a worse thing. You could have gone over the edge. You could have gone over into the river. You could have gone down into that deep ditch. You could have hit a tree. Yes, there's some damage, but it kept you from 
the worst thing, which is why this is so, so important. So when you apologize, when you ask for forgiveness, it could cause some damage. Of course it will. But the longer that you're carrying around that guilt, please, please hear me. The longer that you're carrying around that, that guilt, it begins to eat you up from the inside. And what it does is it leads to other behaviors that eventually you're going to have to confess are going to become so, or, or they're going to become so obvious that people are going to come to you and say, dude, you've got to stop that. You've got to s- slow your go, man. That's damaging to me. That's damaging to the kids. That's damaging to others. And listen, secrets just suck the life and the joy and the passion out of relationships. So the little brother of Jesus, James, says, look at this. He says in James 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to who? To each other. And pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. I've got some heart damage. I've got some, some, some disease of the heart. In this case, guilt. And James says, listen, you can, you, you're going to confess that to God for forgiveness of sins, but you're going to confess it to somebody so that you can get healing in this area. That's how it works. And, and you may not be ready to confess it to the person that's actually deserving of the confession, but you start with a counselor or a trusted advisor, somebody with a track record of wisdom, and chances are that will lead you to doing the right thing, to confessing. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This thing will bring about such a release in your life such freedom in your life. Yes, it may cause some damage, but listen to me. It's almost never, never as bad as you think it's going to be. Almost never. And it will, it will create such a freedom for you. There's healing in the confession. The, the, second, the second sort of symptom is anger, chronic anger. Now, here's what I know about a lot of men in particular. A lot of men have anger problems, but they think, dude, this is just how my dad was. It's how my grandpa was. It's how, it's how we roll. That's no excuse, man. It's not, listen to me. My biggest issue in my life until about six years ago was anger. And I justified it at every turn. It's just how the rivers roll. We're just ticked off. That's how we drive. We're ticked, and I still drive ticked off a little bit. Can I, can I just confess to before you? It's, I'm bringing healing to myself right here, right? Folk be cutting me off. I'm like, hey, I will jack you up. Like some of y'all ever wish you just had a beater, like a big old beater car, and you're like, I don't care about this car. I'm going to ram them off the road a little bit into the guardrail. They won't fall to their death, but I'll jack up their car a little bit because they cut me off. It's good for the soul to confess these things because I feel like that most every morning on the way to everywhere. Anyways. So anger says, you owe me. Well, why? Because you hurt me. You took something from me. Some of you... Our kids, and since you're adults now, but you would say about your dad, dad, you left us. I grew up without a dad in my life. You owe me my childhood. This guy that came along and committed the worst crime against any woman that can happen, sexually assaulted you. And you would say, you owe me my purity. You owe me all the years that I've spent therapy and counseling. You owe me all the money I've spent. You owe me. Serious, isn't it? You owe me. You owe me an apology. And a lot of times people owe you stuff that they could never pay back even if they wanted to. You owe me my time. You can't replace time. Now, we'll say either you pay me back or I'm going to pay you back. But either way, you owe me. And somebody's got to pay the price for what has been done to me. But the problem with anger is that anger doesn't stay self-contained. It doesn't stay isolated. It leaks into other areas. So you would say, 
I got hurt as a child. I got hurt at my last church. I got hurt at, at my job. I, the, the way that that girl dumped me, the way that that guy did what he did, that last guy I was dating, he, what he did to me and how he did it and how I found out about it, that hurt me so bad. But listen, then we start to carry that around and it begins to affect every other relationship because it leaks. And then we're looking through a lens of unforgiveness at everybody and everybody is, is potentially a person who could harm me. And so we, it leaks into other relationships. And you know who bears the brunt of this? Generally, those who are closest to us, our kids, our wife, our husband, they bear the weight of the anger, and they were not even there when the wound that you're carrying around was created, but they're bearing the the brunt of it in your house right now. Some of you know what I'm saying is true, because it was true in my life. And the thing about it is, what do we do with anger is we forgive, we forgive. It's the only solution we forgive. Anger says you owe me, and so forgiveness is identifying specifically what has been taken from me. And some people say that forgiveness is like forgetting what happened. No, 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 it's the opposite. It's going, this is what was taken from me. This is what this guy did to me. This is what he owes me. And then saying, and I'm going to cancel his debt. I'm going to say, you don't owe me anymore. And what's so hard for us to do with forgiveness is it says, hey, I'm going to be letting this guy off the hook. I'm going to be letting her off the hook when what they did to me was so, so bad. And you are. And this is what makes it so troubling. But you're letting somebody else off the hook in the process. You're setting the captive free. And the captive, as it turns out, is you. You're setting you free with forgiveness. That's what it means. That's what it means that you're saying, I will not be ruled by this anymore. It's not going to follow me into my next relationship. It's not going to impact how my parents did me. It's not going to impact how I do my kids. I will not let that happen. I will not let it impact my next marriage. I will not let it. I'm going to do what God did. God forgave me. and I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive others the way that God through Christ Jesus forgave me when he said, it is finished. And all past and all present and all future debts were canceled, paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ for you and for me. Now, greed says, I owe me, right? Yeah, yeah, now we're getting to the part that I like. I do owe me. I owe me a new, a new truck. I owe me a new car. I know, owe me a new iPhone 10 X Max Plus. I actually did owe myself, and I got it. Yeah, so there we go. Praise the Lord Jesus. You're like, hey, bro, I ain't saying I'm perfect. Come on, give a brother a chance. <laughs> I like me some Apple products. Back off. I'll come at you, man. Right? So greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That's what greed is. And you know what the thing about greed is? It's socially acceptable in our culture. It's completely socially acceptable, but it's insidious, which is why Jesus taught more about money and finances, and he called it the spirit of mammon, than he did about hell or heaven or prayer even, because he knows the power that stuff can have on our hearts. And so some of us, greed would say, hey, I know that there are people with issues. I know that there's some stuff happening in South Carolina and North Carolina, and there people are needing stuff. And I, I know my church needs something. I know this nonprofit over here needs something. But man, m- like my heart goes out to all that, but my money will not. And as much as I feel sorry for what they're going through, I don't feel sorry for enough that I'm going to write a check because I owe me first. 
Do you know how, Danny, do you know how poor I was growing up? Do you know what we didn't get as a child? Do you know all the stuff I didn't get? I owe me. And a lot of times it's our families that are competing with our love of money and our love of stuff. And when stuff and when money gets in the way of our relationships with people, God would say, I find that offensive because you're damaging your own family because of how much you love your stuff. So what do we do about greed? We give. We, get, we give. You write a big check. It may not be a big check for that guy or that guy over there, but it's a big check for you. And with that, you're making a declaration as you give that to some nonprofit or some charity or, or, or whoever. You're saying, greed, you do not control me anymore. I'm breaking the grip of greed in my life. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, there is no other way for you to break greed in your heart but then to give. I don't, you can go to every therapist in the world. You can ask God to, for, to, to, to take it off of you, but the way it's going to come back every time, it's going to circle back. You got to give. 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 See, here's the thing. I'm not against having stuff. I'm not against having nice stuff. But when it becomes a priority over people, the people in your life, you got a greed problem. And as Christians, we don't trust in riches. We trust in the one who richly provides everything for our pleasure and for our good. He's the provider. You know what jealousy says? Jealousy says, life owes me. They got what I deserved. She got the guy that I was after. He got the promotion that I was in line for. And they just cut right in front of me and cut me out of it. Life owes me. And now you don't like that person anymore. And you can't treat them kindly. And even if you treat them nice to their face, you'll stab them in the back the moment that they walk away because of jealousy. And you know what happens even worse with jealousy? And I've experienced this, and maybe you have as well. Is when it becomes such an issue in your life that not only can you celebrate the good that's in their life, you actually celebrate when they fail and when they fall. Like that's the worst part of, of human nature. And, and, if, and, and, and nobody wants to admit about jealousy, right? No grown man wants to say, yeah, I'm jealous of that dude over there and what he's got. Because we think, oh, that's for sixth graders. That's for 13-year-old girls. Sorry, 13-year-old girls in the room, right? Like, like, grown men don't get jealous. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We do it all the time. And it drives us. It, it, it drives us. It, it leads us to work too hard, work too long, try to, try to acquire too much. It leads us to ignore our kids and ignore our families because we're trying to keep up. So when you feel it, when you see it, when somebody observes it in you and says, Danny, listen, man, you gotta, gotta watch that. You gotta address it. And, and with jealousy, you know what it really is boils down to for a lot of people? This envy thing, and it was in the list that Jesus gave, envy. It boils to us down to us saying, you know what, God, you ripped me off, man. It's not so much my sister-in-law that I'm jealous of or, or my brother-in-law or that guy over there, the guy who got the job. You know what it really, it really is, God? How can you bless them? not bless me. God, you owe me. How are you going to bless that guy? God, do you really know that guy? How are you not going to bless me? God, you owe me. And here's the thing, is that, that life happens. To, 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 the Bible says that rain falls on the just and on the unjust, meaning that even really good people have some really bad, stinky things that happen to them. And our, 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 our propensity to say, God, where are you at, man? What are you doing? Why, why, why would you let this happen to me? And, and the thing about it is, is Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things, the bad stuff, the good stuff, all things work together for good. 
to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So that when I take even the junk that life throws me and say, God, here it is. Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I'm yours. I surrender my heart, my life to you, that God will take even the worst things and work them for your, your good. So the way that you respond to jealousy is you, you celebrate. You not, you not only celebrate your wins and your, your, your successes, but you celebrate particularly the people that you have a problem with. You say, man, right on. Awesome, dude, you're doing incredible. And when you do this, you break the back of it in your life. And at the same time, you cannot, you cannot allow somebody else's success to make you feel like a failure. And with the advent of social media, this is what happens. We see everybody else's best stuff, their highlight reels, their best pictures, their best days. And so we're comparing our worst to their highlight reels and we feel like a failure. And God would say, no, 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 you're not a failure. You're an amazing person. You got amazing, if you look around, you got incredible things going on in your life. Last thing and I'm done, I promise. I'm way over my time. You got to surrender your heart to the only one who can heal what's broken. Some of us are, are aware right now, and, and if you're not aware, maybe you need to ask somebody, hey, were any of those four things, babe, were any of those four things, am I missing any of that in my life? And maybe they'll be honest with you, maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you're good. But you listen, you ask somebody, and if you say, man, there's some damage, there's some heart damage, there's some disease in there, you say, God, I can't do this on my own, apparently. Would you heal my heart? I surrender my life. I surrender my stuff. Because Jesus has always come looking, not at our behaviors, but at our hearts. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. There's this verse in the Old Testament quote, quoted by a prophet who we don't often talk about. His name is Ezekiel. And God is talking through the nation of Israel at the time, through him, but I believe by extension to us as well. And here's what he says, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone, meaning those diseased parts of you, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do a spiritual surgery and I'm going to take that out of your heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, like, like, like the real thing, a new one. And then he says, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, capital S, my, my Holy Spirit in you. And I'm going to move you to follow my decrees. I'm going to, I'm going to help you to be careful to set up boundaries. I'm going to create these in your life so that something will go off in you. That he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, which, by the way, we've said this over and over, is the ultimate rumble strip. The Holy Spirit will direct and protect and guide, and he will give you these gentle nudges along life's way that could keep you from, from destroying your life. He says, I'm going to do this to you. So I want to ask you again as we're done, how's your heart? How's it really going on inside your heart? Is there some stuff there, some damage there? Then... Pray with me, would you? Pray with me. Would you bow your heads? We're done here in just a moment. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that Solomon was inspired to write that above all else, we have to guard, guard our hearts. We have to pay attention. And I'm just praying that there are folks here who, if like me, they realize there's some stuff going on in there, that they would come to you with their stuff and they would say, God, would you, would you forgive me? around this stuff and he will immediately the Bible says he's faithful and just to, to do exactly that and would you create in me a clean heart as David said would you renew in me a right spirit God would you take the heart of stone would you take the disease stuff and would you, <clears throat> would, you would you renew me oh God would you remake me and, and chances are there are some of us in this room that have never said 
God, I surrender my life to you. We've never done that. But today, maybe God's knocking on your heart door going, say, come on, let, let's, let, me, let me give you a new heart. And so we just, we just invite you to pray along with us, Lord Jesus. I invite you to come live inside my heart. God, to make yourself at home there, to, to see what's going on in my heart and, and, and to, to give me a new heart, to be the forgiver of my sins, to be my Lord and my Savior, that I believe that you died on the cross to pay the price that I could never have paid on my own. So I ask you to come live in me, Jesus. Come take control. Come make yourself at home in me. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And LifePoint, can we celebrate new beginnings today? Amen, somebody? God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much.